So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We are in the last chapter of 1 Kings. That is 1 Kings chapter 22. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there, or at least your handouts. And let's go to prayer. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room, you have intention tonight to minister, to reach us, to to just get to us, Lord. And I just pray that tonight something amazing would happen to each of us. More, Lord, than just, okay, we've given over our Tuesday. Hopefully something cool will happen. But, Lord, that we would worship you, not just singing songs, Lord, or trying to feel it, but, Lord, that we would worship you in our in, in our attention, as we give attention to your word and in our intention to apply it, Lord, and in our retention and our desire to hold that word in our hearts. So, Lord, I pray we would learn what we're supposed to learn tonight. May your scripture burst open and come alive for us. And, Lord, let tonight be one of those nights that we just go, wow, God, you are so good. So we commit tonight to you, Lord. We commit 2018 as this is our first Tuesday night of 2018, Lord, let this be an amazing study and just exactly what we need to just put our hearts and our minds and our spirits in the right place. So, Lord, we commit this to you, and I thank you so much. Bless, 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 bless tonight. Bless every person who's come here, Lord. We desire to become more like you. So immerse me in your spirit. Come upon me and speak through me so that each one of us could get what we were supposed to get today. Speak fluent us. May we be captivated in your word and have so much fun and save, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our context as we begin chapter 22 is there is a the seventh king in the south, I'm sorry, in the north. His name is Ahaz. He is the nastiest, biggest spiritual doofus of his time period. Um, he has, though, unified the north and the south through marriage. Uh, in the north, that's Tyre and Sidon. That's the area of Lebanon today. He married their princess. Um, their princess's name is Jezebel. You get her. So the king marries her. And therefore, there's a political alliance. In the south, they have a baby. Her name is Atalia. And they marry her to the prince of the south. And that's the area of Judah. So there is a political alliance through marriage in the south. So in the north, that's the area of Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon. There's a political uh, union through marriage of the king with their princess. And then in the south, in Judah, through their son, the prince. Uh, I'm sorry, their, their daughter. I'm sorry, the uh, princess and their son, Judah's son. Now, with that, though, southeast on the other end isn't covered. That's the area of Syria. And Syria attacks twice. And in both cases, it's interesting because Israel is not given the victory by getting help by Tyre and Sidon, even though they're actually up there with them. They don't go there. They don't get actually help from the south in the area of Judah. God gives them the victory twice. And Ahab responds by letting that king of Syria go. And it says, as a result of that, this is his response he actually says, Ben Hadad, that king says, the cities which my father took from your father, I'm going to give them back to you. I'm going to restore that you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, that's Syria to this day, as my father did in Samaria. So there was a time when 
Ben-Hadad's father used to actually have a marketplace in the capital of Israel. And he's going, well, now that you've kind of whooped us a couple times, I tell you what, we're kind of brothers, so I'll let you do the same in our capital, Damascus. And so Ahad says, then, I will send you away with this treaty. Now the king has a union to the north, through marriage, south through marriage, and then northeast, and that's the area of Syria, through this treaty because he didn't kill the king. Now, please understand something. If we're going to go right into our text, please know this. There are some people in your life, union will never be a good idea. There are some people, God, the Lord has called for God's people, for Christians to be unified. But he has not called for us to be unified to the world. Now, as much as that sounds like a lovely Coca-Cola commercial or it sounds like a lovely slogan, aren't we supposed to love one another? If we really love the lost, we should be giving them the gospel because that should be the most selfless and genuine caring act we can give to them. But the people who are determined to fight God and you just want to be friends with them, God says actually come out from them and be separate. Now, that is a rough message. Because if we're going to be honest, what that means is I'm going to have to bail from people that I know that I have a tremendous amount of history to go to a place where I'm not too sure I have anything in common with anyone and I'm not too sure I'm going to have any friends if I leave that. But I challenge you to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5 when it, and, and by the way, he reiterates in Luke when it says, blessed are you when they actually ostracize you, when they avoid you, when they bail on you and actually make fun of you and persecute you and say your name is evil Jesus says, for my name's sake. Now, you know this, because there are some people, no matter, no matter what you do, no matter what mindset you're in, the moment you're hanging out with them, trouble is going to be the product. And we keep saying to ourselves, you know, if I just tried harder, if I did something different, God's like, I'll tell you something different. Don't hang out with them. And you go, but that just sounds so harsh. It's not when you're doing time because someone's committing a crime in the house and you're not, but you're in the house. Two of the worship leaders, the primary worship leaders for a church on the central coast where we were at, had a kegger party. Well, it was their house, but they didn't bring the beer. And they certainly didn't bring the people who wound up at least being accused of gang raping a girl in the house of this worship leader. But by the time it was done, both of them wound up spending more than five years in jail apiece, in prison apiece, because all the judge could see is two Christians had a bunch of beer in their house for a bunch of underage kids and a girl got raped there, or at least claims to, and in that, he threw the book at them. They didn't do any of that. But they opened the door for it. And the reason I say that is you know that there are people in your life that if you really can't bring about a change, can I just say love them enough to bail, love the Lord enough to bail and go someplace where you can be fruitful where well, you can minister. Now that sounds rough, but you realize sometimes what God does in his mercy is he actually amputates them from your life and you get angry at him. And sometimes the reason he does that is because they really aren't any benefit. Imagine loving AIDS or cancer and God removes it from you and you're like, but that's a living organism and I love that thing. And God goes, I want it gone. Now look it, that doesn't mean that that person's hopeless. That just means maybe you're not the person called to do it. But I've watched some people be removed from my life and find somebody else that the Lord brings in that's actually the person that I'm not. 
that I'll actually lead them to the Lord. And the reason I say that is, is this is about bad union. The king of the south, Jehoshaphat, first of all, I just love him because he's got to be like a funk bass player with a name like Jehoshaphat. That's like the best funk bass player name I can think of. Jehoshaphat. He's a godly man, and we're going to find that by the end of the chapter. And yet, he totally, we're going to find, he buddies up with the wrong guy, and there are like a countless amount of warning signals, and he's just kind of like, he doesn't even notice. So listen, this is where we're at at this moment. I remind you, that king of Syria says, I'm going to give you back all that property we took. Notice verse chapter 22, verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Nobody that reminds you of their in-laws. Let me remind you, the king of Judah has a son. The king of Israel has a daughter. They are married, which makes them in-laws. So he's coming to visit. Now notice, by the way, did you notice it says that Jehoshaphat went down to visit him? Because Jehoshaphat's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's up on a hill. And no matter where you come from, you go up to Jerusalem. What's interesting is God constantly makes mention you're going down to Samaria. Now, there is peace for three years. Why is there peace for three years? Because he has this treaty with the king of Syria. Now, let me warn you. You try to make peace with the enemy, and you may find there's no war. Or at least you're not feeling the war. But what you're going to find is there's also no growth, there's also no joy, and there certainly is no ground gained. And there are times where you're like, all I just want is for there not to be a battle anymore. Let me just warn you, ground is gained in the battle. So, verse 3, look at it for yourself. Verse 3, the king of Israel, says to his, said to his servants, notice the servants he's saying this to, do you know that Ramot in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight at Ramot Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Uh, there should be a little bit more to this. Like, let me think of this over and pray. But just the same, what we're going to find is Jehoshaphat's definitely the guy who plows first and prays later. And there are people like this, right? They're like, all go for it, and there's really no time on their knees, but they're all time on their feet. Well, that's Jehoshaphat. And he's going to learn his lesson, but it's a bad lesson to learn. Now, look at what he's saying. This king of the south, out of the north, I remind you, this is this Ahab. He is looking at his servants, and he goes, hey, you know, there's this property, and we're, we still have never been, get, we've never received it. Now, why haven't they received it? Well, what makes him think it's theirs? Because it was property that Ben-Hadad of Syria had taken. He just never gave back. Now, hear me on this. Remember that treaty they made? He let the king go and the king says, all that property we took, we're going to give back to you. Well, he's not going to give any of it back. It is not going to, you're not going to get any of that ground without a fight. And somehow what the king of the north thought, what Achav thought is, well, if I make peace with the enemy, he'll actually be kind and give me the property back. And the enemy will, will lie to you just the same way, beloved. He will lie to you and say, hey, look, you know what? Back off of that full-on Christian thing. Don't, like, don't tell people about Jesus. Just kind of, you know, 
sing Christian thoughts and smile a Christian smile and, and that's good enough because it's like Christian karma and you send out like vibe rays so that everyone gets nicer and their pineapples are sweeter or something and that's about all you need and you know and somewhere in all of that all of that horrible stuff in your life is just going to get better but he's not going to give you any of that back he's a liar and so has Ben Haddad by the way he's a liar he said I'll give it all back to you Three years have happened, and in three years he's given none of it back. And so now the king, it took three years for him to figure out, you know, I'm not getting any of this back. I'm going to do something about it. So he looks at his servants and he's like, hey, you guys, do you think we should actually, now, you know what that means? We are not going to get this land without a fight. That's what it means. So, okay, three years with no fight. Are you about ready for the fight again? Can I say this, beloved? Some of you are aware of this fact. Not all of you. Praise the Lord. Some of you weren't around for that. Praise God for that. So there have been some battles that have been fought and people have come full frontal in some really crazy ways to make some things really, really miserable and to really just, to really kind of to try to take this thing down. And there comes a time when you put in the mass unit to heal, but the question I'm asking is, is are you tired of not growing? Are you tired of just kind of going, all right, well, okay, we're there. Are you ready to go back to the battle? Because victors are not people. It tells us, by the way, that the, that the righteous will fall seven times, but they'll get back up again. But the wicked will fall by calamity. And the difference is when a wicked guy falls, he falls and he can't get back up. And look, at there are going to be times, and some of you know this, that you get to this place where you feel like you're, you're kind of overwhelmed and you back off. Sometimes you need to take a moment back and go, but it's the moment that you take back is to reassess so you can get victory. Quick story, and we'll get into them because it, keeps, it gets even wilder. My freshman year in high school, freshman year is when you're roughly 13, 14 years old. Uh, I was, uh, something weird happened. When I entered the school, I was literally the smallest kid in my school. I was not the smallest kid among the guys. I was the smallest kid among the school. I was, believe it or not, I was smaller than people we know. And I mean, and it was amazing. I was like this tiny little thing and then something happened in that freshman year and I looked like a 1950s vacuum. I had this tiny little torso and my arms and legs went and so I had these really long arms and really long legs and this tiny little torso which means I had no wind resistance. And we were forced to take physical education which I really didn't mind because I was a bit of a spaz. So we were just doing laps and it was like nothing. I was just like, I'm like, how is this like a sport, and, and I, the guy that was our, our gym teacher was also the football coach. Now, it's American football. We can all agree soccer or, or European football is actually using your foot, so you should call it football. You should call it the other soccer because it kind of gets socked a little more. But, uh, but in that, he, and he says, I'm going to fail you from the class unless you try out for football. I'm like, okay, all right, I don't want to fail. So I ran out, and the guy that runs the most often is what's called the wide receiver. He's the guy who runs, tries to run a lot and then catch the ball and keep running. Well, I was crazy. I had no fear of pain, and I had no problem with big and horrible, nasty-looking people coming at me. I've had that my whole life, so why not? Big deal. And I'm like, I studied martial arts, so I was like, you know, oh, wait a minute, you can't stick your cleat in someone's faces? Okay, that's not good. You know, those kind of things. Well, ultimately, we wind, I mean, in the, I wind up in this, this all-star game, this kind of game where they kind of pick people and they put them all into this thing. And I'm one of the wide receivers. And there's a guy on the other side, on the defense, and forgive me for the sport analogy for those of you who aren't into this, but just be patient with me. There's a guy called a free safety, and his whole job is to basically stop you from catching the ball. That's appropriate. You want to catch it, he doesn't want you to catch it. That's pretty appropriate. 
Now, the guy that was covering me was a guy, and he had no hand on one, one of his hands. It, was, it literally looked like the end of a sausage. So, I mean, which I, I'm led to believe he probably did at one point have a hand. But anyways, and I just remember in that first, you know, in sort of the first few plays, as we kind of came off the line, the guy would just take that and go, Aah! and he'd stick it into my face, and it freaked me out. And it was like, and it's, and I was like, uh, and I totally forgot the plays. And it was like, and my coach uh, for this game was also the coach we had. He got pulled into it, and he was what we call a bell ringer. He would take his bare hand and slap your helmet while you were wearing it, and it rung your bell. And uh, he had this kind of, he had this like class ring on, and I, I'm just convinced it was made of like vibranium. And and he looked at me, and I remember, I mean, it's clear as day. And he and, and he pulled me aside, and he smacked me upside the head. Now, these days, he would have done time for that. I actually am actually quite appreciative of it at the moment. And he looked and he goes, what's wrong with you? You were the craziest guy on the field and somebody is out crazy in you. Do something about it or warm the bench. And at that moment, I realized I had to be pulled out to reassess because I was getting conquered in my own field of strength. So I was like, okay, something has to change. No, not remotely knowing the Lord or any of that. I'm only 14. And I look and so I'm like, okay, I've got a plan. And so we're going to run this cross pattern. And the idea of it is two guys on the ends run across to run the guys that were guarding you into each other. Read you up. Anyway, and I know this guy's going to give me this contact. I know I'm going to get sausage face one more time. So we're on the line and the guy yells and he yells, hike. And I jump up. And as the guy goes to stick his arm, I grab his, his arm and I lick it. Ah. And the guy goes, Ugh! and it was totally what I needed. Now the whole, now, yeah, okay, goofy story. But here's the point of it, is that if you really stunk, no one's going to give you any time on any field that you're playing on. I mean, if you're, I mean, let's face it, if you're actually playing real football, like European football, and like you're the one guy nobody guards, I would be insulted by that. How about you? They're like, oh yeah, just leave that guy alone. He's, he's no threat. I mean. And you know what I mean? It's like there's got to be a bit. But if you watch, there's like one guy and he's being like double or triple teamed. Chances are there's a reason for that. And chances are the reason is he's a danger to the opponent. And we're like, God, I don't understand why there's opposition. God's like, because you are causing the opponent to freak out. Should we be surprised that hell wouldn't take lying down the excavation and removal of the people. But what happens if, like, let's face it, what happens if you just buddied up? You're like, hey, you guys, I'm actually kind of, we'll be friends. Well, there's no way to be a friend with your opponent and actually be a threat to them at the same time. Let me say that again. There is no way to be a friend to the opponent and be a threat to them at the same time. And for three years, there's been no fighting, and now he kind of looks and he goes, you know what, are you ready to get back to the battle now? And can I just ask you, are you ready to get back to the battle? I mean, I'm not talking about doing church. I'm talking about watching lives change, getting out there and hearing the bullets whiz. Metaphorically, we're not blowing anyone up here. And, and getting Jesus to people. You're like, but what if they don't receive him? Well, they're, no, they're not going to be going to hell any more than they already are. They'll just have a choice. Now, we've got this king who's in total rebellion. He has married the, the high priest of Baal's daughter. I remind you, that's, that's Ahav and his wife Jezebel. She is, 
in essence gone on a tirade to kill every prophet of the living God. She has, she had 850 false prophets on staff, of which the prophets of Baal have all gone down. And she still seems, what we're going to see is she has 400 more prophets, 400 prophets more that are still false prophets. And all this is still happening. And you jump into this arena and you're like, oh yeah, buddy, we're totally together. Really? But I want to remind you, they're both Jewish. And the reason I say that is just because someone says they go to church does not mean they're not Satan. I think there are places Satan can show up at church and have a grand old time. Some of you, you kind of know, oh yeah, I think I've sat next to him once at church. And what's worse is this particular city, this Ramot Gilead, happens to be a city of refuge. There are set aside, God set aside specific cities so that if someone accidentally kills someone, they can run there so that they basically don't get the family of the person who died doesn't go and just kill them, sort of Sicilian style. Now, east of the Jordan, Yosheveth says, you know what? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go, buddy. And then verse 5. And he says, look it. I am as you are, my people, your people, my horses, your horses. And then verse 5. You, you ever know anyone like this? I've done this. Where I'm like, let's just go for it. Oh, you know what? Maybe we should pray. Verse 5. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire of the Lord, uh, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Hey, can we actually ask God about this? Now, I'm kind of wondering, the way that it's kind of listed here, is if maybe he's not doubting they're going to go to battle, but maybe what he really wants is kind of the how from God. So then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. By the way, back in 1 Kings 18, there were 400 prophets of Asherah, as well as the 450 prophets of Baal. I wonder if these are the same guys or these are new guys hired, but just the same. You've got about 400 guys that are false prophets. And he said to them, Shall I go up to Ramot Gilead and fight, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. The word Lord there, by the way, for what it's worth in the Hebrew is Adonai. Look at Jehoshaphat's response in verse 7. Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here? That we may inquire of him. Interesting. What that means is Jehoshaphat just watched 400 guys, roughly, all be like, yeah, 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 king, 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 you're going to take them down. And we're going to find in a moment it gets like show and telly and all kinds of stuff here. And yet in all of it, he kind of looks and he smells something wrong and he goes, you know, I didn't ask for just prophets. I want a prophet of the living God, the real God, because these guys really, it looks kind of right-ish. But it's not. He's like, and notice he says, Is there, isn't there still any left? Which means he's aware of the fact that a lot of them are gone. Do you buddy up with a guy like this? She's like, hey, let's go down. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Well, maybe we should check with God on it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, hold on, let me bring my guys in. Uh, you know, 400 guys in the like, Okay, we're going to go. You're going to die. You're going to kill him, kill him, kill him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that may be entertaining and stuff. But um, do you have any like real prophets? And listen to his response. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there's still this one guy, Nechaiah, which means who is like God, the son of Imla, by whom we may acquire of Yahweh, the term for the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Now, stop. How many red flags have to show up let me ask you, how many red cards do you need before you're out of the game? 
Yeah, one. And that's kind of what I get, right? One and you're done. How many red flags have to go up before you're like, mm, maybe I should rethink this. So let's start with this. Okay, you've got, you have a wife who's killing all the real prophets and you married her and then you let this other guy go that you really weren't supposed to let go and then you want to go get this land back and you got these 400 false prophets doing their cute little dance thing. I mean, how many red flags have to go up? And then you're like, okay, well, so do you have any real prophets? Oh yeah, we got this one guy, but I hate him because he has nothing good to say to me. Hmm. So there's only one left. He's the only one who may inquire of the Lord. Now, do you have a friend like this? He hates the only person who will actually seek the living God for him. And he's the only one who will inquire of the Lord. And he's the only one who will actually talk to God and he has nothing good to say about him. When you hate somebody who's telling you the truth, you're in the worst of ways. If I were in an obsessed place of rebellion, who would I hate the most? Someone who will tell me the truth. Someone who goes, you are going the wrong way. Because I really don't want to hear it. You know, Paul understood this because he wrote to the Galatians and he says in 4.16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now we're supposed to speak the truth in love. But we cannot speak love without speaking the truth. And you realize one of the most uncool, unloving things any of us can do, me included, is give someone a false sense of security. It's one of the worst things we can do. There's a guy named Mike. Crazy, built like Hugo, but super full of energy, crazy, crazy person, super creative, who was way into acid back in the days of my high school. And we were on three levels. We were like 5,000 people in my school. And one day, Mike was just convinced. He's like, whoa, they completely fixed the stairs so it's just straight ground. And the person next to him goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. And Mike fell on the stairs, broke his neck and killed himself right in front of everyone. The person next to him was a person who could clearly, who was actually relatively sober, looked and realized the stairs still existed, but Mike literally believed that those stairs weren't there anymore. And in that one brief moment, that careless moment, that person was like, yeah, yeah, you're cool. You know who the worst person is to do that to you is? Yourself. Because if you're anything like me, the best liar to me is me because I'll believe my own lies. And it starts with saying something like this. It's not that bad. It's not that dangerous. It's not that rebellious. It's not that sinful. The moment you have to not that and you, well, then you know it's already bad. It's just not that bad. It's not that dangerous, but dangerous is not that dangerous. It doesn't really hurt God, like I say. Then I'm giving myself a false sense of security. You ever sit with somebody dying of AIDS? See how they convince themselves that the game they were playing, that somehow they were immune to the effects? The consequences of the Russian roulette they were playing at that moment? I have. We've watched people die in front of us of AIDS, and I can tell you, they were shocked when they discovered, even though they were in an arena, and in this particular case, he was like just closing his eyes and just jumping anywhere he could. It was amazing that he, got, he lasted so long before that. 
And the reason I say that is, man, if you've got somebody that's in this place, where they're like, you know what, the last thing I want is to hear any truth about God, shut up about this God thing, that's just not the best person to link arms with. So what does Jehoshaphat say? Let not the king say such things. I would not say such things if I were you. Basically all he's saying. Hey, he's like, you know, hey, that's not cool to talk like that, bruv. I mean, it's basically what he's saying, right? This would be another one of 15 right moments to bail, if you haven't already. Hey, can I say, be really, really careful of the hate the church church or the hate the church Christian. Have you met people like this? They're like, I love Jesus, but I hate Christians. I'm like, aren't you one? And you watch people like that. The reason I say this, what John tells us in 1 John is you really can't love God and not love his people. Is it really, you can't play that way. Now, that doesn't mean they can't bother you and their sin should bother you, but our own sin should bother us, let's be honest. And maybe they, you know, people that call themselves Christians misrepresent in so many cases, but let's be honest, what really should bother me about that is how that relates to me when I do those things. Well, so the king of Israel calls the officer and says, okay, go bring the Chaya, the son of Imla, quickly. Go get him. Get him quickly, please. Let's get this over with. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, each sat on a throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now, let's play this out for a moment, just for fun. Because I want you to realize what we know. What do we know in that particular statement? There's two guys, right? And those two guys, so let's pick two kings while we're at it. You go, because we won't have much time. Adam, let's just get you out here, because I can see you, okay? You said Rochambeau, for which one of you gets to be Jehoshaphat? Okay. Ready? What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Now, tell me what we have in this text right here about where these guys are. They're all both on a throne. What else do we know according to this text? Come on, blurt it out. What's that? It's in Samaria, so that's the capital. What else? Excellent. What kind of robes are they wearing? Like bathrobes? Hilton, maybe? They're wearing the robes. They are kinged out. Does that make sense? They're, they're, they want to make sure that whoever is going to approach... Now, who are they, who's going to approach them that hasn't already? That one prophet. Remember the one that actually he has hate? He hates them because he actually does see God and doesn't have anything nice to say about him? Okay. You with me so far? No. They're sitting, what are they sitting on? Thrones. Okay, they're king down on what they wear. They're king down on where they're sitting. But they're not just, where are those thrones set? More than just Samaria, it tells us other things. Two more things. The entrance of the gate. Why is that so important? What happens at the entrance of the gate in a city in the Middle East? Well, a business takes place. So this is, in essence, the official headquarters. If you remember the story of Ruth, they have to go to the city gates to find out who was actually the next in line to marry Ruth. And it, by the way, wasn't Boaz originally. You want to know how it ends up? Chapter 4. Anyway, but it also tells us something else. It's not just at the gate, not just in Samaria. One other thing. Threshing floor. What do we know about a threshing floor? 
Is it in a valley or is it up on a hill? Anyone know? You don't have to know. That's cool. But you know now. Okay. Here's the idea. God invented wheat in a really cool way. He invented wheat so that the part you eat heavy and the part that isn't is light. Isn't that nice of him? Yeah. So carbs. You know. Anyway. So... What you do is, you would actually throw, once you harvest it, you just grab it in bundles and cut it with a sickle, cut out, cut your leg, and then you bind it up and you throw that thing, that's how, you know, and then you take these bundles, and then what ultimately is, you throw them on a, on a ground, and an animal comes and walks over it, and people, kids, ride on a sledge. And on the bottom of the sledge are pieces of rock, and pieces of, like, metal or bone, and what that does is it breaks up what's called the chaff, that's the straw part, from the part you eat, those kernels. You with me so far? Now, remember, one part's heavy, one part's light. Then they take that whole mixture and they go up and they go to a place called a threshing floor. Now, a threshing floor has to be up high because if you go up high on a mesa, it's windy. And what you do is you just take a fork, like a pitchfork, and stick it in the ground and you throw it up and God does the rest. The wind blows away the chaff, the part you don't eat, and the part you eat falls back down to the ground. So if you do this a handful of times, what you're left with is the part you eat, and the part you don't eat is uh, blown into the valley. Does that make sense? So, if you know that, let me ask you something. Where is this throne set? Topography, as far as topographically. Hi. Don't miss this. They're like, okay, we've got all these other topics, and we don't mind just being whoever we are at the moment. They know we're king. They know we're in charge. But now we're going to bring in that one prophet. You know, the one that's trouble because he actually speaks the living God and actually speaks the truth. And so we better let him know who's in charge. So what are we going to do? We're going to put on our king's robes. We're going to sit on our king's throne. We're going to actually go to the place where kings do business. And we're going to go to the highest spot so we're way above them. So we are, we are basically as super king as we can be at this moment. Does that make sense? Now, while that's happening, and don't miss this, I remind you, this is about unity. Good unity or bad unity. Look at you guys. You guys are like stuck. You are like prison in the moment. Don't worry. It gets better. Okay, because we're going to actually have someone else. There are a couple other people. We're going to bring a couple more people into this. It's going to be fun. Um, okay, so the king of Israel said to the host of the king of Judah, they put on the robes. He sat on a throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. So it's like Netflix on steroids. I mean, everyone's just freaking out in front of them. You with me so far? Now, there's this one particular guy, and let's get a guy for this. Zedekiah. Zedekiah, by the way. This literally means God's righteousness. The best part is the son of a person. I'm trying to say this name. Chena'ana. Chena'ana. Shana Ana. literally means humiliated. The odd thing is it's the feminine of it. Kind of like Mario, Maria. In other words, they're saying that he's the son of a he's the son of a mother. I mean that's kind of that's a son of a humiliated mother. Now that sounds like a middle eastern insult, doesn't you are the son of a humiliated mother. Anyway. Now, so let's just get a guy to do this just for a second, just for kind of fun. Who's wacky enough to do something like this? I'm looking around. I'm going to make Angel because Angel will be there. Angel gets to be Zedekiah. Okay. So notice that he made horns. Well, and it's the he in this case. Made horns for himself. Now, what did he make horns out of? We have no idea. Right? He made horns for himself, but he says, Thus says the Lord. Now, by the way, he's saying that the Yahweh yeah, God. And he's saying, With these you shall bore the Syrians until they're destroyed. You get it so far? 
So she's kind of, she's he, is kind of doing this. Right? Kind of doing this thing. It's like, oh, I'm sorrow, I'm sorrow. Right? You're going to gore them. So this is the original all gore speaking an inconvenient lie. This is what's happening. Are you guys with me so far? Yeah. So, and there, everyone else is kind of spazzing out, and then we've got these. Seems like that kind of go either. Y'all with me so far? So going to say, man, you're going to gore them. Give me something, uh, Angel, because I know you got it in you. Awesome. Okay, that was good. That was, you know, I, I felt fear. Okay, now, so this is happening. Now, I remind you. So let's just for the moment and all of this. Oh, this is getting better. We're going to have to make you inhale because you're going to look with, you're going to look with great longing. Uh, so let's make you then, we're going to make you Jehoshaphat. Okay? Yeah, no, there's no. Neither of you have Okay, yo, what's the other? No, now this guy's looking, and he's, now you imagine this one's like, this should seal the deal. Check out this. This is show and tell. This is charade at its best. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not just going to win, but check it out. We have performance. It's like dinner and a show over this, right? But now, what do you think this guy's thinking at this moment? My guess is, how much weirder can this get? <laughs> you with me so far? Okay, so now we need a guy, this guy's going to be an unlike prophet, we need a guy with a beard. <laughs> okay. Now, don't miss this, you guys. The messenger who had gone to Messiah, verse 13, you know what I said to him, now listen. The words of the prophet are with one accord to encourage the king. Please let your worry be like one of them and speak encouragement. Do you realize what they're saying? Because mm-hmm. hear me, because this is what you're going to hear here. What they're going to say is, everybody else, I'll give a message for the moment, listen, everybody else says this. It would be really wise. It would be really wise of you <laughs> if you said the same thing. You know how often this happens? People look. This is the crazy part. Let me tell you what Scripture says. Because I stand on the Bible. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let every man be a liar to God be true. You know, in other words, God's not going to take a vote and go, you know, oh, all you guys all agree? Well, then I'll change it. It's not a sin anymore. If God is a sin, guess what? It's a sin, and it really doesn't matter how many people disagree. There's a lot of things God tells me to do that I naturally disagree with, but it doesn't make it untrue. It just means there's a part of me that needs to change. Now, do you realize what's happening here? It's Daniel in this case, or in this case, Nahayel, who was like God. Daniel is being challenged to his own improper union. Does that make sense? Look, at everybody else is doing this. You should do it too. Does that make sense? No. What do you do with that moment? Now, I'll remind you, these aren't unreligious people. They're prophets. And prophets are pretty religious. Would you dare say that? I mean, this is clearly something supernatural going on in the room. You understand what? Everybody is denying the literal birth of Jesus. Everyone says that the Bible's not true. Everyone says that this is what Scripture says, but this is really what the truth is now. Do you agree with it just because everybody else says it, or what does the Bible say? Notice his response. And this is why I like to bring Dan into this, because that and what Angel's going to do for him in a moment. So, 
He says, whatever the Lord says to me, that I'm going to speak. Do you see that in verse 14? In other words, I am not going to unify with you guys just because you guys have momentum. Look at I'm only going to speak God's word. If God says it, I'm going to say it. And if God doesn't say it, I am not going to just agree because you guys always decided it was okay. And dare I say this, you start ordaining priests that are something God says is a sin, I'm not going to agree with it. I don't care if everybody else does. Now, if that gets me kicked out of the country or whatever, look at at least I know who I'm being true to. And someone out here, please hear me this, because what we have is this amazing picture. Before he gets pulled out among the dancing prophets here, an angel doing her, you know, thing, while all of that's happening, he's going to have to choose what throne he's going to really bow to. You see what I'm saying? Because there are thrones set, and they're going to be clearly seen. Or he's going to have to bow to the living God, and if he's going to do that, now, I would guess at this moment, if he thinks he's going to take a stand for the truth, that there's going to be nobody that's going to agree with him. Would you think that that might be what he's thinking? Now, I don't know what he knows about Jehovah's But he is up in the north. So he's probably not hearing much. And imagine if in a moment like that, you're like, man, if I stand, everybody's going to disagree with me. Do I have the strength to do that? Well, I want to remind you, you're not standing alone. You're bowing to the right throne. Does that make sense? So hear me this. Because they look at I'm only going to say what God told me. You guys with me? Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about these guys again. Where are they at right now? High up. In high, up at the, high up in the place of business. So, you know, in Samaria, on their thrones, looking out king. You all with me? Okay, he's like, so he got. So, Adam, this is your line. So the king, the king, the king. So he came to the king. He came to the king. Now, here's the difference. When it comes to the king, I'd like you to consider the fact that Micaiah is going to be somewhere, and the king is going to be somewhere way up there. In other words, he's going to be like diminuinizing this prophet. Does that make sense? So he's going to kind of, so it, I mean, it gets worse. He's going to walk up, and as you keep walking up, you're like this. You see what I'm saying? And so the king says, he says, well, Gaia, <clears throat> shall we go to war against Romogilead, or shall we refrain? Micaiah, Daniel says, go and prosper, because the Lord will deliver into the hands of the king. By the way, this is technically the what king. So the king says to him, now he's kind of catching on. Now I read you, while he's saying this, everybody else is still doing their thing. Angel's doing her snort and clint, the, the Sebastian crack <laughs> 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 awesome He says, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And now he's like, okay. Now this is what he says. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each one return to his house. Do you realize what he just said? Why would the sheep be scattered? Because they don't have a master. Who would be the master in the the setting? This guy. He's the king who leads them to battle. But anyway, you know what I just noticed? I noticed that army was a king that's gone. Now, what do you think at this moment? You think, uh oh. (laughs) This is another pretty good red flag, don't you think? Okay, wait a minute. So let me get this right. The one prophet of the living God says, 
You know, I actually saw the army, but what I didn't see was you. And they all fled. Why did they all flee? Because clearly you were gone from the picture. And at that point I'm thinking, okay, how hard do I want to buddy up with this guy if this is what's going to happen? Y'all with me on this? Oh, it gets better. <laughs> yes. Okay, so listen. So he says, so he says, and the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, didn't I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning him about evil? He knows what he just said. Didn't I tell you this is what he does? In other words, he's saying, here's the problem. Have you ever had anyone like that? Someone actually is telling you what the Bible says, and you know what? You're the problem. I'm the problem. I didn't write this book. I just seek to submit to it and the God of it. You have a problem with it. Take it up with the author. I didn't write it. No, no, you're the problem. Well, let me just say, that's where he's at. So, then Messiah said, he said, now, here, verse 19, the word of the Lord. I saw, now notice, this is why he has boldness to stand against these two guys sitting on their thrones, up on a threshing floor, in their kingy robes, on their thrones. Notice what he says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by, on his right hand, and on his left. That's why I can do this. Because you need to realize, there are two thrones in the balance here, there's yours, and there's God's. And God, by the way, his is on in heaven, way above yours on your threshing floor, and you guys have all these whack job prophets dancing around, doing their kind of weird things, and while all that's happening, because I saw the host in heaven around this, this God, you know what? I would be an idiot about you in comparison. So, this is the avenue to a right hand. I choose what throne is most important in my life. And this I declare allegiance and unified with the person who is enthroned on high. Now, that doesn't mean we don't obey the laws. We only don't obey the laws when they demand we sin. So the Lord said, and you got to think, this is what I saw. The Lord said, as he's sitting on his throne, surrounded by all the hosts of heaven, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall and remove Kelly? Like, okay, so Adela, who wants to help kill the king? One spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then the Spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. The Lord said, Well, in what way? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And the Lord said, Yeah, that'll work. You shall persuade him. And fulfill, go and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of, notice, all these prophets of yours. How many prophets is he speaking about? Roughly 400. One guy, 400. Two guys on a throne, one living king on one living king of kings on a throne. They look at him. You know what? All of these four hundred guys, they are a fraud. Now, who do you think? How do you think that 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 um that a guy is going to respond to that? You think he's going to be really cool because he just got called out as a fraud? Or maybe he's still dancing and he's running around with his horse, <laughs> right? No. And so I hear the Lord has put a light spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets, all 400 of them, even though they're all, they're completely unified because they're completely unified over a lie. They are unified over a lie. And the Lord has declared this disaster against you. Then, ready? You know, Zedekiah, this is a Hananiah, a went in and struck Micaiah on the cheek. <laughs> and he said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go for me to speak to you? Now, notice, by the way, when you call someone out as a fraud, they never take that well. Probably weird, the fact. 
So he's like, and it's amazing how violent even religious people can be. Which when the Spirit of the Lord comes from go for me to speak to you, and Micaiah said, Indeed, you'll see on the day that you go to the inner chamber and hide. You think you're so tough, you're going to hide like a little city. Okay. So the king of Israel says, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and you'll ask the king's son. And then he says, and, and, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. That's a very bad meal. Until I come in peace. Micaiah says, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And then he says, Take heed all you people. So he's got guards, and they're going to grab this guy. I think I punched him in the face. You're aware of that, right? And they're going to grab this guy, and they start grabbing this guy and dragging him off. You know? He was a of in the water of liquid, and he said, Look at if I, if you guys come back at all, I'm the one. Everybody, everybody hear me. Everybody hear me. So, don't miss that. That this prophet wasn't just about confronting kings. He was about making sure that everybody else in the room, including those 400 prophets, you can sit down. And you too, He wanted to make sure that every person had a chance to hear the truth. Did you realize that? Even the false prophets? Isn't that the mercy of God? Okay, let's go back to the situation for just a moment. We're almost done, but this is fascinating. What do you do with this guy? What are you thinking when you're this guy now? Is there any possible way that you are so deaf? is to actually possibly even assume that something supernatural just didn't happen in the room. He's like, look at it. I'll tell you what I saw. There's a demon that has influenced 400 prophets to totally agree with each other so that you could get, so you could die. There you go. How is that? And then you get punched in the face by one of them. He's like, I tell you what. This guy comes back living it all. I'm the lie. You guys all need to hear that. You guys all need to hear that. Get my words! You guys, no, you guys have to look at each other after that. And what do you, what do you say if you're a hub? Well, that was weird. <laughs> okay, don't miss it. Okay, so listen to this. All right. So, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. To learn language, you're going to go up there. Now, notice this. This is where it's the best. Verse 30, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your king's robes. Stop. You know what that just says? He actually realized that that prophecy was true. You realize that? So he's like, you guys, we're going to go into battle. You guys are king. We're going to go into battle. But I tell you what, I really don't feel like going into battle in my king's clothes. So, why don't you dress up as a king? And I'm just going to not look like a king. Here's the most amazing part. Yoshifat goes, okay, really? <laughs> you got to turn that to see. Thank you. Do you really realize how insane that is? Now, the same guy who says he doesn't believe anything of what you're saying will still try to hedge his bets at those moments. And like, wait a minute, you really do believe that. You're just not really listening. Does that make sense? But how dumb do you have to be to be Yoshifat? And go, yeah, you know what? I'll, I don't mind being the only king. No. A king is going to put on kingly robes. By the way, when a king puts on his kingly robes, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of protection. Now, this guy is going to have a tremendous amount of protection, but this guy is going to put on, this guy is putting on a full, like, 
a night suit from the medieval times, if that makes sense. So you imagine, it's like, yeah, you're, you're looking good in that king's outfit. And he's like, you know, like, huh, you don't think you're going to die today, do you? Now imagine what that's like. I mean, it would be like, well, you're going to get eaten by a shark, and you're like, you know what, I was thinking today I'm going to spend my time in this. Well, I'm going to disguise myself. Hey, guess what? We're going to lead him into battle, but I'm going to actually I'm going to put on like a fake mustache, and, you know, and go to Camden and get one of those fake mohawks, you know. Put on it so the king disguised himself and went into battle. No. Let's close this up. The king of Syria commanded 32 captains, by the way, same as back in 1 Kings 22-31, same captains apparently. And he says, fine with no one small or great, but only the king of the other was, let's just kill this king. So it was. The captains of the chariots saw the oath of that and they said, well, that's surely the king of Israel. Why did they think that was the king of Israel? He was the only one dressed like a king. Oh, it just gets so good. Surely that's the king of Israel. So they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Is that, you know what that means? Jehoshaphat cried like a sissy. He's like, ah! And you know what they said? Notice what they said. It happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it wasn't the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And they're like, well, that's clearly not the king of Israel. Listen to the way he's screaming. <laughs> but look at this. And this is where we're going to stick in. Now, a certain man, what's his name? We don't have it yet. Drew a bow, my two favorite words, at random. And struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So don't get this. Okay, get so, so here it is. There's the one guy that's just like a king, and you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to hedge my bet. I'm going to put on the whole, I'm going to put on all the armor. Now I'm safe from that wacky guy giving that prophecy. And while all this is happening, there is no trained assassin that can get through that armor like that. But, on the other hand, there is a soldier with ADD. And he's just kind of sitting there. He's not actually really fighting. He's like, God is slow. And he's like, mm, flossing his teeth with it. And he's like, doing, doing, doing. Random soldier, random bow, random arrow, and this seems like, ha, 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 I'm just like one of them. And he gets caught in the one place that's going to kill him. Look at it. When you are running from God, there is no protection out there that will keep you safe. I can tell you, and you can apply that in places that it would be wiser for me not to break to, to develop. But when you're running from God, there is no protection out there that will stop God from doing what God's going to do. Because he needs to be taken seriously. And here it is. Random. Random soldier. Yeah, but here's the worst part. Our little proud king struck the king between the joints of his armor, so he said to the driver of his chariot, because let's face it, every other guy probably has a limo driver, he said, turn around and take me out of the battle because I'm wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, don't miss these words, facing, who was he facing? The Syrians. Why is that important? Because as long as the king faces the enemy, the army fights. So this king, though he's dying, wants to make sure that his army is still going to fight them. 
And so he's probably what he should be doing is caring enough for them to pull him out of the battle because then they have no leader. Just like Micaiah said. And he died that evening. The blood ran out of the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then, when the sun was going down, a shout went out throughout the army. I wonder who was the first guy to say it. Every man to his city and every man to his own country. Very similar to what was said in verse 17. So the king died. And he was brought to Samaria. And they buried him in Samaria. Then somebody washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria. And the dogs licked up the blood while the harlots bathed. There's a pretty sight. By the way, that whole dogs licking up their blood kind of thing. First Kings 14 was said of Jeroboam and his son Baasha, of, all, of the successor of Baasha. First uh, Kings 16 of Ahab. Then he was prophesied in First Kings 21. And here we have it. According to the word of the Lord that had been spoken. So the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house that he built, which is worth nothing now because he's dead, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Ahab rested with his fathers. And Ahaziah, which literally means God had seized his son, reigned in his place. Now, I'm going to read the rest of the verses, though they'll prep us for chapter 2, or chapter 2 Kings, but at least then I'll, then I'll bring this to application and we'll pray. Yoshevat, the son of Asa, remember that guy? The guy that was like, leap first, pray second. Yoshevat, the son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahav, king of Israel. Yoshevat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years. So, someone that's relatively smart at math, how old was he when he died? 60, thank you, in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, which literally means desertion. Little word of advice, if you meet a girl named Desertion, don't marry her. Anyways, because if she leaves you, you should have saw it coming. Um, the daughter of Shilki, which means armed. That's even worse yet. So here's my grandma, armed, heavily armed, and my name is Runsaway. He walked in the ways of his father Asa, who did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifice and burned incense on the high places. Also, Yehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. We saw that here. Now, the rest of the Acts of Yehoshaphat and the might that he showed, how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? The rest of the perverted persons that remained in the days of his father, Asa, he banished from the land. Now, there was no king in Edom. That'll be to the other side of the river. Only the deputy of the king. By the way, that's the area of Jordan today. Yehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold. By the way, that's a place known for gold that is the best of all gold in the world. It's actually transparent how pure it is. But they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Etzion Gibor. By the way, read this verse carefully for a moment, because there have been several expeditions to find the gold of the ships of Etzion Gibor. What's wrong with that statement? I don't know. How about the words, they never sailed? I don't know. Well, what do I know? Then Ahatia, the son of Achav, said to Jehoshaphat, let, remember, that's the king's son, let my servants go to your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And you know what that tells me? He's learned his lesson. He's like, no, you know, I buddied up with your dad and he dressed up like a normal person to have me killed, almost killed me. Uh, we're done. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried in the city uh, the father rested with his, buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Yehoram, which literally means God raises up, his son reigned in his place. Achatzi, the son of Achav, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year. By the way, if this loses you, I remember I have that chart that you have on your table to help you. 
In the 17th year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him, connecting Jeroboam to Baal here, and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Now, let me point out a couple of things and we'll go to prayer. Jehoshaphat, though he's a decent guy, and he actually helps clear out the perverted people. You do realize what that means, right? From the temple, because that's what his dad did before him, is he cleared out the temple because of that. Because these people were for hire. They were male prostitutes for hire, for men in the church, is basically how that works. And his dad tried to clear them all out, but apparently there was a remnant, and now he finishes the job. And so he's doing great things, but... He still doesn't stop people from worshiping on every high hill. Now, can I say it this way? He was faithful, but not full out. He may have tried to remove the obvious affront to the living God, but there was still a liberal approach. See, there was one place God wanted to be worshipped, and that was his temple. And the people are like, I could do it the way I want to do it on the hill that I want to do it on. It doesn't have to be God's hill. And this is one of the reasons why this kind of idea puts you at this place where you could be loyal but still somehow sadly liberal in this to where you put yourself in a place like this with a king like a huff. Because you're kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to take everything God said. Please hear me in this. There is a nation of people out there calling themselves Christians, and I can't tell you they are or aren't, but I can tell you I really don't want them to influence me, who think that the Bible is like a buffet, and they pick and choose the parts that they're okay with, and the other parts they simply dismiss. The parts that offend me the most should be the parts, by the way, that I need to deal with the most. And go, Lord, I may not understand this, but let me ask, how does my life have to change? Now, my Jesus never compromised either side. It says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus never compromised truth. He even said that you search the scriptures thinking, by them you possess eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. He said, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jesus says, there's not a verse or text in here that somehow isn't going to point you to me if you don't look hard enough. But he was also full of love and grace. And so he could love the sinner, but he never denied the sin. That's why Jesus could heal someone, but then turn and say, go and sin no more. Because he would take all of those sins and die on the cross, not so that we could run back to our cancer, not so that we could run back to the gangrene of our souls, but that so that we would be careful about the allegiances we make. Because some of these people, and what's worse are the people that are kind of Christian-ish, that we let influence us, will be very offended if you actually go full on, full out, and faithful. But I want people, let's face it like this, if, if Bruno really wanted to play in Premier League, he's not going to want to be with a bunch of people that basically want to play football casually. He's going to want to be with people that are going to challenge him to be the very best so he could see exactly how good he could be. I think that England, at least for this decade, has yet to see what an Olympic Christian would really look like. You know, somebody that is completely sold out. And that includes me. But I really want to show him that. And I would really like, I could use some help. I could use other people that really want it too. 
that whatever that looks like for you, that's full on, full out, and faithful. Man, I would really love that. People that are like, hey, let's be in the Word more than just getting information, but to become more like Jesus, because isn't that what Christian means? And be really careful going, do we really, really want to buddy up with that? Now look at there's ministry, and then there's just friends. Friends are people who have the power of influence. Ministry are the people you wish that you want to have the power of influence over. And be careful to pick. Because Micaiah, by the way, I'm sure he wanted to influence because as he was being dragged out, he was telling them, you guys all need to hear this. He wanted influence in a place that looked like he had gone absolutely mad. And you go, well, that kind of looks like the world around us. Well, is our heart broken any more to the fact that the world is absent of Jesus and most of the people claiming to be like him really aren't doing anything about it? Can I say, are you ready to go back and get some land? Ready to go back into the battle because yeah, but it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, but you know what? Let's face it; it's the greatest challenges that promote the greatest victories that we'll always entertain in our minds. Isn't it true? It's like hey, we played a bunch of people with one leg and they were all blind and we slaughtered them. We were so good. Yeah, don't hurt your arm patting yourself on the back for that. But if there was a team that seemed invincible and you took them down and you were part of a team that did, that's the thing you hold on to. Jesus never said that the, that the enemy wasn't a strong man, but he also didn't say he wasn't bound. He's like, I'll bind him. You go in and take his goods because they belong to us now anyways. And when he died on that cross, he took all of the sin anyways. And when he rose again, he offers us a new life. We're not to live like that. We're not to, to, to go and embed ourselves to the old dead man anymore, but to seek to be a transformer, to call other people out of their tomb. As we go to prayer, beloved, it's time for us to make a decision. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray a dangerous thing for those of us who call on Jesus. And that is, God, sever the foolish allegiances we have and connect us to those that will challenge us to walk with you as we should. So I want to warn you, I'm praying that because I am led by my own, by the Spirit to pray that for me. You can amen that, but I warn you, if you say amen, you're agreeing. You're buying into it. Will you pray with me? First of all, Lord, I just pray if there be anyone that hears this within the sound of my voice that has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. And they recognize, Lord, that that what's called Christianity often can be very convoluted and perforated in so many ways. And yet, if we're going to be honest, your Holy Spirit still speaks and says that, that even if that is a very tainted hint, that Jesus is still infinitely better. He's, 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 the, he's what I need. If there be anyone at the center of this voice that knows they need to accept that gift of Jesus, pray this with me. God in heaven, I'm a sinner and I've sinned and I stand before you in that guilt, but you paid that price on the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And when he paid for it, my price was paid. And he was buried and rose again, just like Scripture promised. And I give him my life. And I say, now have me, make me alive, and make me new. I hand myself over to you. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, I ask you to say, Amen. And here in this room as well, at the sound of my voice, 
If this is your heart like mine, pray this with me. God, I can be foolish in who I choose to link myself up with. And I can befriend for the purpose, is for the end destination of friendship instead of the end destination of ministry and salvation with people that I could lend influence me that should never influence me because of their open declaration of war against you and their embracing of the counterfeits. And they may have numbers and there may be some consortium or consensus among them. And I'm not saying we're by by any means, I'm not saying we're the only two things, by any means. Because there are remnants all over this city of people that are seeking your truth and believe your word to be true and seek to actually have their lives change according to it, not have the word change according to their lives or culture. And God, I just pray that you would rip out of us, that you would sever those foolish allegiances that drag me away from me, drag me away from you, that somehow cool my heart that was once hot and passionate towards you, Jesus. So God, cut off the cancer and the gangrene and those things in my life, Lord, that don't belong there. So that Lord, but also connect me with those that will challenge me to love you with all that I, all that I am, with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And Jesus, because you deserve that. I want to be more than just seemingly faithful, but I want to be full out full on and faithful. So Lord, even those things that are kind of Christian-ish, that are sort of on a hill, but not your hill, I pray you would remove those. Remove any perversion from my heart of any sort. And give me the courage, Lord, to recognize that even if a man sets his throne and he's all kinged out, whatever that looks like, on whatever how, how high hill that seems, is nothing compared to my God enthroned in heaven, to you, God, enthroned in heaven, with the host surrounding you. And I just pray that I would always remember that it is that King I serve in all counts. So here I am. Cut what you need to cut, but also add what you need to add, because I recognize this isn't just about me running alone. This is about me being removed from those things that encumber me and to be linked to those things that strengthen me in you and my resolve and conviction. So, Lord, I give you that permission. Please, Lord, do that. And I trust you will, because you tell us if we ask according to your will, we know you not only hear us, but we have that petition. So I recognize this is a dangerous prayer, because I know this is what you want. So I say yes. I mean, if I'm quick to leap first and pray second, I'd be foolish not to leap here. And I'm leaping, Lord. I'm leaping to you, and I'm saying, God, take me over and transform this city and use us to do so, please. In Jesus' name. Amen.